thing that makes me crazy about Web3 is that the second the conversation starts, pops off about Web3 and my husband and I are next to each other 100% of the time. And I mean, 100% of the time people turn to Ashton, they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, wow. mofo, I'm the one that's in <laughs> it. Like, If I was forced to invest all of my money into one current trend, one of the topics I would definitely consider is Web3. I'm not sure what you've heard about this Web3 universe we're living in. There are definitely many skeptics, and understandably so. But there is a reason I'm so passionate. Because behind the scenes, some of the smartest people I've ever met are building in this category like never before. Web 3.0, or Web 3 as it's commonly called, is what many consider the next evolution of the internet. A new technology called the blockchain is changing how we as consumers will transact, invest, create, and own things online. Many predict this new market could be valued at more than $10 trillion by 2030. Now, there have been countless experts who have laughed off these predictions. After all, crypto has more ups and downs than your favorite roller coaster. But that's the thing about being first in line. The beginnings aren't polished or perfect. But the right lines, the ones worth waiting for, are bubbling with undeniable potential. Like anything else, you just need to know what to look for. If you really want to understand the potential of Web3, it helps to not think about its current state. Instead, I want you to go back in time and remember the original state of the internet. Today, you don't need to understand a line of code to build a website, set up an online shop, and start making money. Connection speeds are lightning fast. You can stream anything from anywhere, and your entire life can live inside your phone. But it wasn't always that way. I remember trying to build my first website. It was a miserable experience. I had to learn how to code, keep my code in multiple files, then connect to this thing called an FTP server. I had no idea what that even meant. I didn't know how to publish the files in the right folders and figure out how to purchase the domain name, then connect it back to the server. The number of steps almost wasn't even worth the effort. Back then, the levels of complication were the barriers to entry, and many passed. But today, everyone gets to experience the benefits of the internet but not everyone got to reap the rewards of being early. The technology wasn't where it needed to be, but the concept of the internet and what it became, the usefulness that it provides now was there from day one. You just had to understand the inevitable value. Web three is the same. Maybe today's technologies aren't the perfect solution and maybe you don't feel like an NFT is a good investment, but the next evolution of the internet is happening right before our eyes. And there's never been a better chance to jump on something with unlimited upside. I've only seen this happen a couple times in my life in the category of technology. So in this episode, we are breaking down Web3 like never before. Our guests, Kevin Rose and Mila Kunis, offer a unique balance. Kevin is a serial entrepreneur with the uncanny ability to be on top of all of the best internet trends. His project, Proof and Moonbirds, is one of the top Web3 projects worldwide. And Mila, a Hollywood star with Web3 projects, such as the animated show Stoner Cats, saw the potential of Web3 just a year and a half ago and didn't want to miss out. 
We'll explore what's next in Web3, where you can win, and why so many believe this is more than a passing fad. Maybe you'll decide this isn't for you. Or you might discover why I'd bet the house on its success. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. One of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur and mom is making sure I create a daily routine that keeps me healthy. AG1 is a big part of making sure I win my mornings. Instead of taking endless vitamins and pills, one scoop of AG1 provides 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help me start my day right. It gives me the peace of mind I need to ensure I'm taking care of my gut health, supporting my immune system, and naturally boosting my energy and focus. As a listener of First in Line, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is brought to you by Element. I'm obsessed with all things health and wellness. I love learning about the latest trends, trying different hacks, and figuring out what works best for my body. And if there's one thing I know for certain, it's that hydration is essential to better health. Unfortunately, most of us don't realize that there's a more effective way to hydrate. Element is a tasty, science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means just the right amount of salt without all the sugar, food coloring, artificial ingredients, and other unnecessary fillers. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets, free, with any Element order. That's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash Brit. Try it risk-free and experience the endless benefits of better hydration. Kevin Rose and Mila Kunis, thank you so much for being here with me today. I know that I've known both of you for like well over a decade, but do you two know each other? We met once, I think, with Ashton. At, it was a long time ago. You probably wouldn't remember, but I was I was at the uh, Napa Valley Reserve there, and you guys had just gone to an awesome. Oh, you were, were you at a bachelor party? A wedding, I, it was a something like that. There was like yes, exactly. There was four. There was yes. four guys. We were doing a little thing. We sat by that fireplace. Exactly. I yeah, do yeah. remember what happened that. at that like bachelor party. <laughs> It was very tame. It was it was like guys in mm-hmm. Napa bachelor party. There was nothing crazy mm-hmm. going on other than just wine drinking. So, but it was it was a good I time. I do remember this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes it better. I thought you guys maybe knew each other really well. So this is really interesting for me then because both of you are doing such interesting things in Web three, which we're going to talk all about today. Um, I obviously have launched a company in the space too called BFF and I'm investing in the space. But um, for a lot of people listening, this is their first time to ever hear about what the term Web3 means or maybe they've heard about it, but they don't really get it yet. So before we dive into what we're all doing, Kevin, I'm going to throw it over to you because I know you've probably done this a million times. What is Web3 for the average layperson out there? Wow, there's so many different definitions of what people consider to be Web3. It's kind of a challenging question to answer. Um, I would say that, you know, it's it, it's just in general, it's this promise that we can get off centralized organizations and move to a decentralized structure where the power is back in the hands of the people, where we control our data, where things are transparent and recorded on the blockchain. 
And then that type of underlying technology and infrastructure can apply to a bunch of different things. So it can apply to cryptocurrencies. It can apply to, uh, apply to online storage in a, de- in a decentralized fashion. It can re- apply to NFTs. Um, there's just a whole slew of different things that are being, being built on top of that stack. So it's, um, it's very early days and it's very confusing. So it's, it's no surprise that people are having a hard time putting a definition around it. Totally. Mila, would you alter that definition or how would you describe it? I think what I've come across when people ask me about it is that there's always a conflation of Web3 blockchain and the utilization of the blockchain. So call it NFTs for the purpose of the conversation. So people conflate it into one big thing. They all think that that's, that is Web3. And I think that there needs to be a, a, a better definition for how to separate all those factions. I can think blockchain to me is a great definition of web three. Like, you know, it's a piece of technology that we're just figuring out how to utilize. And what I is think blockchain in, in, for, for someone that doesn't know what that is? Like a ledger that has like a fingerprint and, you know, think of it as like going in and getting things certified of ownership and, and locations like to break it down really simplified. It's um, you can't cheat the blockchain. So that, so it's like uh, it's keeping people honest without without people yeah i like to think of it as uh anything that you buy or sell like imagine every receipt you've ever had in your whole life yeah it's like a checkbook and this accounting book that everyone else's receipts are stored in too and you can look them all up and you know what day that receipt was was transacted how much it was cheat it you can't really go back in and be like let me fudge the numbers on the blockchain they just are what they are so it keeps people honest or at least it should um so I feel like that's just a piece of tech that is in its infancy and how it's going to be utilized is yet to be known. And I think the first utility of it has been the most popular first utility has been an NFT, which has kind of become like the the know-it-all for Web3. So when people look at Web3, they just associate it instantly right now with NFTs. And I think that that's um, a bummer because I feel like an NFT is, is, is like, look at it as dial-up. Like an NFT is a dial-up to the blockchain. Um, I, I think the way that tech is moving is is it's so compounded that in the next two years, there's going to be a whole other version of utilization that we didn't even think to fathom was possible. Um, so the first thing I'd like to tell people is just look at this as just a massive version of AOL dial-up and Prodigy. It's just the beginning stage of something that we don't know, quite understand ourselves yet. And people are think, sticking, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. So... Currently, the utilization for it is transactions. How the, what, for what those transactions are made, everyone's trying to transact everything possible on it, whether it's a JPEG or a piece of information or anything and everything. It's just a form of transactions. Yeah. And I think that's a good, is I, that a, I think that's really good. Yeah. It, it goes back to the receipts analogy that I was trying to get at. It's, it's anything that you're buying and selling or trading, right? The difference yeah, is information. And which can be information. Um, yeah. And maybe you don't have to buy it, I guess, either, right? I mean, it could be a piece of information. To your point, it could be like your resume is is and on the blockchain. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and what I think is really interesting, what Kevin was saying was like, it's decentralized. No one really owns it. So like, you know, you could buy a house as an NFT, <laughs> Presumably yeah. one day. I don't think this is, yeah. I don't think you could buy a house right now as an NFT. Yes. You, um, you can buy a house, buy a house um, as an with, NFT. You can buy a house with cryptocurrency and then you go to crypto and crypto is now associated solely with Web3. So there's like a part of that that also I think goes hand in hand. It's just 
So you can't buy a house as an NFT, but you, there's no reason why you can't. Like you can, if you can buy clothing, NFT clothing, then, then yeah. you can technically buy a house as an NFT, sure. Yeah, yeah, you can sort of make anything into an NFT, right, Kevin? Yeah, I, mean, I think of it as just, um, in some sense, if you think of information storage as just being a database, um, and traditionally, up until this point, anytime we look to see, like, digitally, who owns something, let's just say a house, like you log into your Wells Fargo account or your bank, and you say, okay, there's my mortgage, it's obviously stored in a database somewhere. There's how much I owe on that mortgage. Um, you know, a lot of our, our lives have been converted into digital identities, but it's always by some uh, third party that's out there that you have to trust, right? So if you, you know, you trust Google with your Gmail, right? Like they're the ones that are actually storing that and housing that. And they're doing this through, uh, you know, a massive database on the back end. And so the blockchain for me is just this way to say, Here's a new type of database. It's more public. Um, the information is available to everyone, meaning that not your emails or anything like that. There's certain types of information that you probably want in some type of centralized storage or locally or to host yourself or encrypted, right? But this is a way to say, let's rebuild everything from the ground up in a way that the public is actually owning versus big tech. And I think Mila's point about like the dial-up is is spot on because when you build something from the ground up from scratch and you throw away all the existing infrastructure, like it's going to take a while to smooth smooth down all those rough edges, and it's going to take a while to get the throughput that we need, like all the things that we need to be able to do this in a distributed way. Um, it, it's it, we're you know we're f five, seven, ten years out until this really should just sure. disappear into the background, right? Like you don't go to uh, use Instagram and say, I'm on a web two product. Like no one talks about the infrastructure behind it, right? It should just kind of disappear. And then we'll be interfacing with it in ways that we just don't even know we're touching it. Yeah. I, I like to actually use the analogy of a, of a podcast back in like, Oh three, you had to create an RSS feed that converted yeah. into an MP3 file. And then you had to have a certain type of application that ran on your computer or iPod back in the day that could play those types of files. And so you, you had to translate all these weird acronyms in three different ways. And now we just say like, I'm listening to first in line with Britt Moore and I'm listening to Doc Shepard or, or whatever. Um, you don't even call it a podcast anymore. So um, I, I hope we're going in that direction. I will say though, not, not, but I will just add, I think when Web 2, Web 1, Web 2 happened, people didn't have expectations. There was just more of a curiosity behind it. And like, ooh, what's this all about? And I think with Web 3, which might be the demise of Web 3, to be honest, is the expectations of the people utilizing this mm -hmm. technology. There's an immense amount of expectation um, when it comes to ownership of content, utilization of content. There's like a lot more expectation and it's not expectation where it drives the creator to, for better. It's just an expectation that isn't even feasible or plausible. And I think that that's maybe the biggest downside of web three so far is that like people we're over allowing it. it. Um, I think we're over promising and under delivering as, as a social network, if you call it that. Like I, I think that, but I go back to the court of public opinion on this. I don't think, I think everyone's trying to please everybody because everybody's vying for some sort of standard or a, a standing in this community. It's a very small community that utilizes Web3, let's be honest. And I think everybody's vying for a certain amount of attention and power and, and, and accolades. 
And with that comes over promise underperform. Yeah, I think maybe it's because we're at this point in our lives with the internet where we're all pretty frustrated. I mean, I think I think I'm frustrated with a lot of parts of the internet. I'm frustrated for a couple of reasons. As a user, because all of these big tech companies own my data and, and are profiting the most off of my data. Um, and I know a lot of people out there feel that way. I'm frustrated because the user experience is not as as sleek as I would like. Like I have a login for every website and like a bajillion passwords and a password keeper that you know people get hacked all the time. Like it's just not secure. It's not easy to remember. Um, I can't buy a house with one click. <laughs> um, I would love to be able to do that these days. Um, I, and then as a as an internet entrepreneur, you know, I think like there's a lot of boredom. It's like what did okay we we kind of got this far, but like where are we going next? Um, and Web three has been the first thing that's really sparked a lot of excitement yeah. for a lot of us. I'm looking at Kevin right now. Like I knew you back in. Oh, six, I think. And yeah, you were right. running Dig, which was aggregating news stories from across the internet and letting people in the community vote up and down on what stories were the best to read. And we, for many years, were entrepreneuring together in similar circles with this like Web 2 generation of entrepreneurs of the internet. And it was exciting. It was fun. And Twitter oh, started sure. and Facebook started. And, and, um, and I feel like a lot of people have been sitting on the bench for a few years. Um, maybe they're investing, maybe they're doing side projects, but a lot of them are coming off right now to start Web3 companies. And, and you're, you know, I wouldn't say you're coming off the bench because you've been very active, but your project with Proof and Moonbirds is, is one that's certainly become now one of the most popular. Um, but I, but I want to actually pause and ask you about the story I just read about. I had no idea about, by the way. In 2014, you took thousands of your dollars and actually invested into Dogecoin and yeah. started giving out, <laughs> you started giving out Dogecoin to random people and wearing green and all this stuff about Robin Hood. Can you, can you tell us that story? Oh, because boy. I think it's fascinating. I've never talked about this publicly. It did. It is out there though. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really, so the, it was a difficult time for me because I was really frustrated with San Francisco. And it's part of the reason why I don't live in SF, even though I love that city. I spent the majority of my life there. Um, it was just, it was clear to me that, that it was, it was just going sideways. And I had, um, there was a serious, and there still is a serious homeless problem out there. And, um, I really wanted to not say it's me doing it. I didn't want to put my name associated with it and, and, and really just say, how can I kind of give back to the homelessness and, and, and help out in any way? And I, I thought cryptocurrency and Dogecoin would be a great vehicle for that because when I, uh, I first had Jackson Palmer, the, the founder of Doge on my podcast, like, like, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. And he was talking about this. There was this amazing tipping economy and this idea of using cryptocurrency for good. And they, the Doge community would come together and, and really champion and empower a lot of really great movements that were happening. And it's really how Doge kind of got off the ground. Um, I, I miss those days of Doge. And, you know, I, I was like, I want to jump in and, and help out. And so I, I bought a lot of Doge and, um, and just started figuring out ways that I could uh, disperse it to different people in need. So I would tweet out under a fake account. If you had, if you could tweet back at me and show me a bill that was late, meaning like it said on the bill, like a photo of it that it had been marked late, I would instantly pay it off for them in Doge. And so I'd send it back to them in Doge. 
And so we did, I did a bunch of these different experiments. Um, and it was fun. The Doge community ate it up. They loved it. Of course, you know, there's this mysterious figure that's like tipping out. And I told my wife, I was like, listen, like we, we give X number of dollars to charity every year. This is going to be our yearly thing to go out and do. And so, um, it was, it was really trying to figure out what we could do with cryptocurrency and how we could bring some attention to what was going on in San Francisco, um, with all the problems there. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a really crazy, like six month experiment. <laughs> That's First cool. of all, Again, it's 2014. Let's, I mean, we're in 2022 and a lot of people don't know what Dogecoin is or what cryptocurrency is. So like, I think it's fascinating to know that there were even people out there who knew how to send you, like not just the photo of their bill, but like their wallet address or anything like that in 2014. Um, and the value of that at that time and how you know things must have changed since then. But I, I think it's an incredible story. And was that kind of the time that you got fascinated with crypto and Web3? It was a couple of years prior to that. Um, so I think it was 2011 or something like that, that when I first started playing with like just compiling Bitcoin and just seeing what would happen, um, just because I just heard about it and it was like, OK, let's let's see if, this, if there's anything here. And, you know, I've got the same story everyone else does about selling it. $50 and 60 and 80 and like all the way along. Cause you just like, it would seem so crazy, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was, it was, it was early days and, and it was, um, but it was cool. Cause that, that, the, that curiosity, I think that's what, for me, I've always been a tinker and like that curiosity of like kicking the tires early on stuff is what led me to NFTs eventually. And where I really got hooked, um, even more so than, than just general cryptocurrency coins was, was probably on the NFT side. I think that's what a lot of our listeners I will hopefully glean from this. Like you have been a tinker your whole life. When you heard about this new thing that you weren't sure about, you probably didn't even understand really how it worked. You just dove in presumably and started playing around with it. Mila, when you first heard about crypto, which I presume was probably years ago, did you just jump right in and start playing around with it? No, I thought it was really stupid. I think I heard about crypto um, 10 years ago. I have to think back. 10, 11 years ago. And it was Gary Vee and Ashton were sitting at our dining room table talking about crypto. And I was like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> I was like, this thing. What did they say about is- it? Like, how did they describe it to you? Um, a digital currency. And I was like, right, but where's like, is it, is it like insured by the FCC? Like, who's insuring it? And they're like, no, that's the whole point. And I was like, well, that's stupid. And um, and the conversation was they were both investing in crypto. They, you know, back in the day. Like, so they invested, well, however, would they, Gary, I don't want to speak for Gary, but, I, you know, Ashton invested 10 plus years ago. And in, you know, Bitcoin, whatever. And I was like, well, that's a, I don't understand it. And Gary, 11 years ago, was like, you should come out with, like, your own cryptocurrency. I was like, Gary, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. I was like, this is horrible both of you are like i we got a very funny conversation about it cut to 10 years later i'm like oh my god i was so wrong i'm so happy to be wrong (laughs) like i've never been happier to be wrong um but it didn't conceptually make sense to me because i i really i couldn't understand how people kept each other honest and so i think the thing that i missed about it was like the blockchain aspect of it and i was like i don't you could just keep mining this and it'll mine forever. And they're like, well, no, at some point it'll stop. And I was like, well, that's even worse. And <laughs> it, it, that, like, it was all so wild to me that no, to answer your question, I did not buy into it right away. No, I, I think, I think no. that's what most people 
probably where they're still at right now, right? They're like, uh, this still seems questionable. I don't see the government yeah. regulating this. Like, it's like this thing tech people do. Like, yeah. what do you see now that you get or what made <laughs> it click for you? When were you like, shoot, okay, I'm actually in. Like, I'm doing this. Um, You know, I still don't really know if I'm quite there. I think I got into it, what, I think, a year and a half ago. A little bit out of curiosity and a lot out of being frustrated with our traditional form of, um, of content making. So I, you know, I start, I, I, I'm from like a traditional entertainment industry where you sell a project, you make it, there's like a, a step-by-step process. And we sold this animated, it all happened because we sold an animated show. The money that we got to make it wasn't enough to make it because animation costs a lot more money than people realize. Good animation costs a lot of money. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to lose money making this show. And so to jump from crypto to NFT, right, I kept hearing about these NFTs. And I was like, what is like how conceptually what is an NFT? And at that point, an NFT was simply a a flat image. right? I don't want to call it JPEG because I don't want to downside. But it was just a flat image. And I was like, huh, I wonder what I can do there. And that was it. And I went up to our team at the time, which consisted of an animator, a writer, a director, and myself, I looped in Maria Morgan and a bunch of homies that I stole. Like, I was like, will you help me? Will you help me? Will you help me? And they're like, yeah, this seems like a weird project. We'll jump on board. And again, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And we all did it out of our houses in the middle of the night while we did other jobs and try to figure out conceptually how to make this project work, fun, utilize all the things that we were like, what can we do with this in this small community and how can we make it fun for the community? And so we did it, you know, from, we like to say from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And that's kind of how we work for months on end by, like, by, by ourselves. And everybody did it because we were all curious to see what we can do with the blockchain. And, um, and that's kind of how I got into it. So it was less through the, you know, the gateway drug of crypto and more through the gateway drug of the NFT community. And what was the purpose? Was it like, I want to break the mold for Hollywood or like, I think there's a real money opportunity here, or I just want to figure out what this all means. I just want to do it. So I get it. And it clicks for me. I think the idea of our artists and our creators having ownership of their own content was what was exciting for me as a producer was like giving them that value because our traditional entertainment industry doesn't really give that value to the artist. They, they very much give it to the production company or the studio or whatever. And in here, the, everything went to the artist. So it was one of those, but I mean, you know, for us, it was animation. So whatever we got with, we put like, everything was out of our pocket back into the animation. So our animation costs a lot of money. So that being said, if the community likes you, then they're in. And that's all we needed. We needed the community buy. And the community was like, yeah, we like this. We're like, oh my God, I can't believe this like worked. And then we went and continued making more shows. But we were doing it regardless. Like we kind of did it out of the love for our project with or without the community. We were doing it for free because we thought this would be a really fun place to put it. The idea of it being gated was really kind of exciting at the time. We were like, oh my God, only a handful of people can watch it. That makes it feel like really lucrative and fun and different. So I guess for us, it wasn't A, about making money, and it wasn't about being splashy. It was the opposite. Because if we wanted to make money or be splashy, we'd go traditional. You make way more money in the traditional. You're way splashier traditional. 
And so for us, it was like a, a really fun experiment that we were like, what, what is this community? And how do we bring them into the process of creation, creating content? And so just to be clear for anyone listening that isn't familiar with Stoner Cats, so you had to buy in, you know, you bought an NFT for an episode. Is that correct? It's like a ticket. It gives yeah. you your, your NFTs, like your lifelong ticket to our show. And you only yeah. have so many. How many did you release at the beginning? We released 10,000 10, and then we sold out within like 30 minutes, I think. I okay, mean, I, so, I think it was like 10,420. I think we had like a very creative number. But, um, but this was like <laughs> a year and a half ago, we thought we were real creative. So right? funny. Um, well, it's stoner cats, everybody. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. We were also like, this is a community of 500,000 people. There's not that many people in this, you know, all of OpenSea had a total of 500,000 accounts. And most people at that point had multiple accounts. So yeah. take that number, you know, call it, I'm being generous when I say it's 500,000 individuals. That's it, it was much less than that. It's probably like and 200 so, somewhere around there. Yeah. Exactly. Cuz everybody had one or two two or three, you know, accounts. Anyways, we were like this is such a fun weird way of making content and why not try it? Like honestly, this was just like a hey, let's get to know people. Yeah, and I think it's amazing because I mean, most TV shows or animated series you want millions of people to watch, but you're saying, no, I actually just want these 10,420 to watch this and pay <laughs> yeah, for it. Yeah, we thought it was fun. And and now they have this ticket and the ticket is good for more than just watching that show, right? They now can watch, we, can have, unlock more we have another one. Yeah. 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 We did another show. We called, we did a show called Gimmicks, which was a show about wrestlers. And so in that one, we gave for free. To it was everyone like that a, already uh, had a stoner cats NFT ticket. Yeah. 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 And so, and so that one's just like, like a, how is that done for you? I mean, is this a good business? Are you going to keep doing this? Did you see? No, I mean, you sold horrible. out in 30 minutes, but you sold out in 30 minutes. You saw the demand was there. For sure. It's a horrible business. There's no business model when it comes to this. The entertainment industry tried to follow suit. They were like, oh, well, they did it. So we're going to do it too. And they failed. Um, because it, it's not, it's it, animation costs so much money and it was all coming out of our pocket. So with or without, like, it's not like we're charging anything for anybody. We're just creating content. You can come watch it. And so, no, it's not about, if you want to do it right, you really don't. You do it because it's fun and you do it because it's creative and because it's a fun process. But it's, but our, for Stoner Cats, it was all, our animators were all award-winning Pixar animator, writer, director. It took time. It's like our, it was pristine animation. And so then we, we try to appease everybody because they're like, well, you're not making it fast enough. And we're like, oh, my God, we're literally making this out of our houses. And so we came out with gimmicks, which was flat animations, what I like to call it. It's quicker. It's a better, faster turnaround. So in that regard, thank God for Toonstar that came in and did gimmicks with us. They can pump that stuff out much quicker, much faster, and that appeases the demand. Got it. So is this a direction you think? Well, is this where Hollywood's going? I mean, where is this going to be useful for Hollywood going forward or no? Man, I don't know what to tell you. I know that there's been another show that tried to um, follow suit because they thought that what we did was really easy. Um, and they failed. That's all I'm going to say. And they had a whole studio behind them. And I was like, you did not listen to any advice that you were given. People reached out to us and they're like, what advice do you have? And we're like, here's all the mistakes that we made. Do not do this. Everybody thought they were smarter than us. And I was like, I understand that you are a really big studio. I totally get it. But I promise you this isn't a studio model. And this, these people are smarter than that. And they can smell your bullshit. And 
by the time you release what you're trying to do, it would have moved on past it. Like we've all moved past this concept. Like now we're trying to do other innovative things. I was like, you, the way you're going about it, you're going to be a year late. And they're like, mm. huh. And then anyways, they did it. So to answer your question, no, we're doing, so the, the next thing that we're doing is we're going into gaming. So we're doing a, a worldwide build out for a thing called Armored Kingdom, where we, we drop the comic books, then we're going to drop the game, then we're going to do the animation, and we're going to try to build out a whole universe based on this. So it's a matter of building out a massive IP. And the, I think the difference of what makes us unique is we do it regardless. We're not waiting for, um, for the NFTs or for the community. We're doing it with the community, but we're already doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it'll come out and hopefully people love it. And, and you know, that will, I think, inspire us to continue making it. But mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking w- way past the animation. Animation is expensive. Yeah. I'm like, do it as a, do it as a reality show. This episode is brought to you by Element. I'm obsessed with all things health and wellness. I love learning about the latest trends, trying different hacks, and figuring out what works best for my body. And if there's one thing I know for certain, it's that hydration is essential to better health. Unfortunately, most of us don't realize that there's a more effective way to hydrate. Element is a tasty, science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means just the right amount of salt without all the sugar, food coloring, artificial ingredients, and other unnecessary fillers. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. That's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash Brit. Try it risk-free and experience the endless benefits of better hydration. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. One of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur and mom is making sure I create a daily routine that keeps me healthy. AG1 is a big part of making sure I win my mornings. Instead of taking endless vitamins and pills, one scoop of AG1 provides 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help me start my day right. It gives me the peace of mind I need to ensure I'm taking care of my gut health, supporting my immune system, and naturally boosting my energy and focus. As a listener of First In Line, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Morin to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Kevin, I'm curious as like your investor and entrepreneur mind is hearing the story of Mila's in real time. Like, is there advice for Mila or, or do you think this is the right track? Do you, you oh, know, is there... She knows way more about this world than I ever will. <laughs> like that is, that's definitely, that's why I avoid uh, the kind of uh, content creation side. Um, it, especially what, like I, I'm, I'm, you're smart, I'm, Kevin. You're smart. Definitely on the animation side. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is this is the experimentation that needs to happen, though. Like, I, I feel that as entrepreneurs, which clearly, you know, she is like there, there's we're all going to be trying this. Right. We this is the beautiful thing about there being so much blue ocean here and new potential ideas to go out and 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 push on. And so, you know, at proof, that's what we set out to do. Like, we're going to try 10 different things. Probably eight of them will fail. And hopefully the two that work will be massive. 
And so that's uh, that's the exciting thing about working and building in Web3. There are so many fresh ideas that just haven't been experimented yeah. yet. Like no one's really tried yeah. it. I think that's, yeah, I, I think that's a key point to hit on. To your point about the number of total NFT buyers out in the world right now. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands, maybe little millions if you're being like optimistic. I don't. I don't think it's even in the. I, I don't think it's hit a million. I, I I really don't. I think it's just really yeah. loud and overinflated, and I think that that comes out of people raising money, and yeah. a lot of times I will say we never raise money. We haven't done it yet. We will at some point. I have no doubt. But we have done this completely, you know, out of the love of just innovation and creation. But I think that people overevaluate in Web three heavily, right. and yep. I think the numbers are super skewed. I, I agree. And, you know, I started BFF in January of, of 2022 to try to get more women and non-binary people involved yeah. because it's also not just so few people, it's so few, mostly male people. <laughs> um, and we need this to garner more momentum in order to grow, obviously, yep. and grow all of our businesses. However, on the plus side, we're so early as three entrepreneurs here in this space that it we have this, I think brief window of time where we can tinker and play without like every major fortune 500 company, like jumping in and, and, and the whole world, you know, figuring this out. And, and so it's a little bit confusing sometimes cause you're, you know, right now we're in this crypto winter, but you know, five months ago it was like all time highs and everyone's still projecting this is going to be like a $10 trillion economy in the next 10 years and, and all these different things, which is really exciting, but we're in this lull moment, right? And we're, we're, we're playing, experimenting, and, and seeing who else will come in and, and play yeah. with us. But um, Kevin, you know, I think what you've done is so interesting because as, as a lifelong tinkerer, I know you are, and I am as well, you've, you've been around this world for 10 years, you said. Um, you know, you're giving out Dogecoin to strangers in 2014. When did the idea for proof come about? And can you explain how that evolved into everything you're doing now? Yeah, uh, well... You know, I, I really love chatting with, with entrepreneurs and, and talking about what they're building and, and artists are, are just an example of a, a, an entrepreneur as well. So when the NFT thing started really hitting a year and a half or so ago, um, I, I decided to spend more time there and just learn. And so it was um, having a lot of these artists and builders on the podcast and just figuring out what they're building, you know, what lens they're looking through to and how they view the Web3 world and really just started kind of collecting at that point and then eventually thought that, um, well, it was interesting because we started getting enough of an audience where when we talk about certain projects, we'd immediately see like the floor just go up and it was crazy because the, a lot yeah. of NFT collectors were, were following the podcast. It was one of the few podcasts that were covering NFTs all the time. Every episode, that's all we did. You know, that was what, what proof still is today. And so, um, I was like, okay, well, let's turn this into a little thousand member private club that is the Proof Collective and um, launched that in December. Um, and that went really well. And so um, just decided to extend from there. And we, we realized that our, our collector pass was just a picture of a card that said like proof on it. And we we're like, okay, no one wants to do this as a PFP. Like you don't put a card as your PFP. So that's why we built Moonbirds. It's just like a fun free thing for the the um the existing proof ecosystem and and gave one to each member of the proof collective and then did some on top of that. So that but that was just where I, I couldn't have predicted what what was to come after that where where movements just went crazy. So that was um that was where the chaos started. 
(laughs) So this is just iterative, right? You're like, okay, I guess I'll do a podcast about NFTs and, you know, some of this Web3 stuff. Um, And then it was like, okay, maybe I'll just like make a little community of a thousand people. And um, I think you sold it. You sold a pass into this community, like a membership for 2.5 ETH, which at the time was what, like um, seven to ten thousand dollars, maybe per pass. Yeah, it, right? was a, it was a Dutch auction, so it went from five down to one. So we actually sold okay. out at one, is where it finally hit. Yeah. Okay. Regardless, you know, people are paying thousands of dollars each um, for this pass. There's a thousand people, so that gives you a little bit of influx of, of revenue to play around with. And then you're like, okay, I guess I'll do like an NFT collection. And when Kevin says PFP for anyone out there, it means profile photo. Like what's something I want to make my profile photo. Um, and so it's popular to launch these collections of NFTs that are, you know, 10,000 in a collection of different characters. How did you land on Moonbirds? I've never heard the story of like, or like, I guess we should yeah. do owls. Like, was yeah. it like frogs, well, owls, aliens? Like, well- the, the thing of the Proof Collective has always been known for is kind of this idea of curation with a point of view on, for the NFT world. So we want to be that that if you come and you chat with one of our analysts or, or, or you know, you have someone on the show, it's always about, you know, not about flipping, not about pumping and dumping or not about any of that degen activity. Not that there's anything wrong with people that play that game. There's, there's some fun to be had there, but it's not what we focus on. We focus on the things that we talk about are the things you want to hold for decades to come. And so the thinking there is that the owls represented like knowledge, all seeing, all knowing creatures, um, and just something that we, we figured we could go after and the trademark was available and like all the stars just aligned. And, uh, yeah, we, we built out these cute little pixelated owls and all with the promise of there being different utility associated with the various attributes that go with the owl. So very much like you're joining, um, the Moonbirds, uh, like, collective little organization that we have in our private discord, but also that those things will unlock different, uh, rewards over time. And so we have this uh, functionality called nesting, which is you actually just tell the code in the contract that you won't sell your moonbirds. So you lock it up and it puts it in its little nest and, um, magical things happen over time as you're, as you're locked up. So we have one of the lowest available supplies out there on the secondary market because people are really excited and want to stay, stay nested for all the stuff we're building. Which just for anyone who's ever taken economics is a genius, right? Like, you know, this is traditional supply and demand, right? What Kevin's done with Moonbirds is said, hey, guys, like in my community, put your Moonbird in a nest, <laughs> lock it up, and literally um, you'll get way more rewards if you do that. And what that does, right, is it, to his point, reduces the supply in the market. So the demand goes up. So people want to pay more for these. What did the price uh, cap out at over the last few months for like one Moonbird. Can you mm. just do a little hum- humble brag in here for us, please? Yeah, that's a good question. We had one that was on the rare side that sold for a million dollars. Um, but I would say in the last few months, we've, we've done- <laughs> <laughs> so weird. By the way, I remember so everyone, there are 10,000 of these and one sold for a billion dollars. Okay. Just wanted to make yeah. sure yeah, everyone was- got that. It's been crazy though. I mean, we've, we've, we've had probably about, I'd say in total volume in sales, it's, it, we're approaching around $500 million in sales over the last four months. So it's been, it's just been nuts. $500 million of sales in four months. Like, I don't know another category that's exploded 
to that regard. I mean, it, were you just in you're you're living in Portland, you're like, okay, I did this podcast, now I made this community, and oh, oh my god, five hundred million in four months. Like, what is your brain like right now? I mean, this is like this is this is this real? Like, is this a real trend? And are you freaking out because you're like, this is not sustainable, or is it sustainable? Like, yeah, I mean, I think what I tell the team is that you know, crypto. If you've been through a few cycles, you know that it's lumpy, and there's always a downturn, and then the recovery is almost always bigger than the previous cycle, and so. You know, we think of those downturns uh, typically are, are two to three years in length at the at worst. And, um, you know, we have capital now just to go heads down and build like the best products are typically built during these downturns. So for us, I always tell the team, you know, our hype is at a 10, our products at a one. It's our job to, to close the gap. And so we're we're just really focused on on really not launching um, more and more NFTs over time, but really kind of. Uh, taking our existing community and just really doubling down on them and uh, creating tooling to help them kind of expand and grow the universe on our behalf. So it's not, it's more deputizing them to do great things unless um, I mean, we're still going to continue to do amazing things, but we're only 25 people. And, you know, I feel like um, it, it's great when you can enable several thousand people to go out and, and build as well. So that's, that's kind of been part of our, our big move over the last few months. Mila, do you have a moonbird? Do you need a member? It's too expensive. It's too expensive. Okay. It's too expensive. It's out of my price range. Great. Can you do okay. some stoner cat trades for moonbirds? We could do a little barter. Yeah. Is there a barter, I'll barter in with here? You. I think. I think yeah, Ashley might have one. My... I'll have to ask. I don't know if he picked one up or not. Dave, Maybe ha- not. Dave has. Dave just got his moonbirds hat. I, That's I buy awesome. all my husband. NFTs. Kevin, do you? Ashton doesn't buy them. Yes. I, here's the thing that makes me crazy about Web three is that the second the conversation starts, pops off about Web3 and my husband and I are next to each other, 100% of the time. And I mean, 100% of the time, people turn to Ashton and they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, "Wow, mofo, I'm the one that beat <laughs> it. Like, he doesn't know how, th- like, he's so smart. Please don't get me wrong. I mean, he invests. I mean, he is so brilliant. But as far as like utilizing and like living in Web3, nobody thinks that I, like no, everyone looks past me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, naturally. for my birthday, same, same by the way. Yeah. I know. But you and I talked about this. How, I yeah. mean, we were like, for my birthday, he got me, um, this is a, a, a year ago. He got me a board ape. Okay. A year, a year plus ago. And I, he was like, what do you have for your birthday? And I was like, I want the board ape. It's not like he wanted the board ape. I wanted the board ape. And people are like, <laughs> wow, Ashton owns a board ape. And I was like, no, I do. It's in my oh, wallet. You- it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This is horrible. The, the, why is the public perception the opposite then? That's like. Always. Always. We're always with every category. Yeah. With every yeah. category related to tech, investing, you know, any new. Tr- I mean, it's frankly like why I'm trying to do this podcast. I mean, I, I was just going to say that. that. Yeah. Men men and women will both listen, but I secretly hope more women listen, which I, I, I yeah. presume they will, because we get overlooked. We don't get. We don't get. Oh, yeah. First, you know, Gary Vee telling us in 2012, or Winston Cesaris in my case, telling my husband in 2012, like, you got to buy Bitcoin. It's $29. Just like, just like buy 10, you know, and hold it. You know, yeah. like no one's telling us what to do. Like, mm-hmm. and that's the problem here. And so we're yeah. late to the game. You know, in, in 2017, only 4% of cryptocurrency owners were women. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, I think it got up to like 20%. Um it's just, it's still abysmal, you know? And so 
I I think that women are also a little bit like scared. They're they're terrified. They get like risk averse, and men just jump right in. And so, like my question yep. for each of you is like, what would you tell your average friend, male or female, um, about Web three right now? Like, how would you tell them to get involved or not get involved? I'm I I do I'm a big believer in crypto. Like I'm not saying that I'm all like all my but I but I think that that is a currency that's not going anywhere. And I, you and I talked about this offer, but like the thing that bums me out the most is the mass amount of risk aversion that women naturally have. Like, I think systematically we're told to like save and, you know, ration and men go out and earn. And so there's a part of me that just wishes people look at crypto, put in the money that you can afford to lose. Look at it as like, I can put in a hundred bucks and I'm going to buy whatever, whatever you want to buy. Okay. If you want to buy Doge, if you want to buy Bitcoin, if you want to buy ETH, just try it out. Like, just take a step in, dive into it. I don't think that people all need to necessarily go into a Discord because that's like a sociopath's brain, right? Like, I don't think you need to deep dive that far into it. But I think that there's, like, the utilization of Web3, the blockchain, cryptocurrency, I I wholeheartedly wish that more women were in it because I look back at Web2 and not to go into, like, Web1, Web2 because I know that doesn't really matter to most people. But I look at the birth of social media or whatever you want to devise as Web2. And I'm so bummed that more women weren't a part of that. Like I, why? I, I like on the ground floor. But why? We're constantly playing. Because again, I think there's a constant state of playing catch up. That like it goes into historically, you want to be a CEO. Women want to be CEOs. They want to be COOs. They want to be CFOs. They want to be they want to be in the C suites. Like that is what what everybody wants essentially. And women are constantly vying for that one female job. As of like you know, call it 10, 20 years ago. I think things are slowly changing, but. 10, 20 years ago, you had one woman in a, in a power of position. And they're like, look, we have a woman. We have one. Right. And the only reason that that happened is because not enough women were, and I don't think it's because women didn't get the same access to it. I just think women were a little, they weren't, they just didn't jump right in. And I, and it's not to talk, it's myself included. And I look at Web3 as this is the beginning stages. This is everyone's at an equal. We're all starting at the same place. Like, I don't believe that you know more than I, and I don't know more than you. We're in it, and we're all figuring it out, and we're learning through trial and error all at the same time. This is the best time to try to make a difference and to try to be a part of something that could be great in five to 10 years instead of looking back and going, man, I wish I would have educated myself on this. I'm not a tech person. I didn't go to college. I didn't, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just dove in. And I was like, I'm going to spend time at night after I put my kids down to bed to educate myself because I don't want to be behind. And so I look at it as a great opportunity for women that don't, ne- that don't need an engineering degree, that don't need a, a financial degree. They don't need, you can just educate yourself on it and you can do amazing things with this. Mm-hmm. Love it. Preach. Oh, that was so good. Don't you think? Ke- I mean, Kevin, like looking back. I do. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it's the reason. Again, you and I, I talked to, this is a true story. Mila and I got on a call last September, I think, um, of yeah. 2021. And uh, our friend Gary, we now reference many times, <laughs> was like making bank with B friends and like, you know, loving it. And all these male-oriented projects were launching. And, and I was just like, what? why where are the girls where are the women yeah. like i don't understand and and it was like well we need to educate them first because they don't understand it then we need to like just convince them to do one thing like make a wallet buy ten dollars worth yeah. of period something yeah. like like they just need it, these baby steps but i think we need to do it together because women are like scared to do stuff on their own so how do we like build yeah. a community and that's BFS where bff started it's, it's so, yeah. so smart 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it was, I, my sister, it was her first NFT was a BFF and she was like, cause yeah. she was following what I was doing and she's like, how do I get started? I'm like, go talk to Brit, go, go follow what she's doing. Like, she'll help you out. I'm, I'm really busy. Sorry. And I should be a better brother, but um, yeah, I mean, this is something that is so important right now. Like it's, um, it's something we spent a lot of time and effort on. Um, we, you know, you know, we sent you 50 NFTs to give out to it, to, to women, Brit, over at BFF. Yeah, and that. we, we really have been trying, we, we, we sent out 500 NFTs to underrepresented groups and people of color, uh, and, and try and get more diversity into what we're doing because, it's like we had this meetup in, in NFT NYC and it was fantastic. Like thousands of people showed up. It was amazing, but it was all white dudes. Right. And it was like, I'm like, we and my CEO, hold on, Kevin, my whole team was there. So you at least had two women there. Okay. You had two women representing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think maybe that was, might've been half of the women. <laughs> no, but it was, it was, yeah. it was just like, it was very clear that, I mean, it's so important, not just because you're checking a box, but honestly, like if you ever work in an environment where it's completely diverse and it has like a, a, a well-rounded team, you see around corners that you wouldn't normally see around. Like there's just so many advantages to having a fully yeah. diverse team that are, are when you see it for the first time, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, my eyes are being open. Like when we designed the Moonbirds, um, we reached out to uh, a handful of women and uh, a bunch of um, a handful of, of black artists as well and said, what are the attributes that you want to see? We're just a couple of white dudes, right? I would have never designed a moonbird with a do rag on its head, but John Gray did. And John Gray is a fantastic, like uh, black entrepreneur that said, no, this is what speaks to me. And I want to mm-hmm. see this as an attribute, right? So he designed that for us. And it was just like an example of like, now our collection is just way more diverse than, than it would have been if it was just a couple of white dudes doing it. And I, I don't know those, those little things. It's like, if we, if we can set that we're not going to win, like proof is not going to um, change the world, but we can be the best example of what's going on in the space or try to be one of them, like along with BFF and others. And if we all lock arms and say that we can be a good example for others, then I think we will be in a pretty good place, you know? So, so Kevin, the same question for you though, like, okay, let's say your average, I'll say woman um, or non-binary person is walking down the street and has no idea what what Web3 is, what any of this is. Like, what do you what do you tell them to try to get them excited about where yeah, they're going? Yeah, well, I definitely tell them that a couple things. Um, to me, let's point about the like $100. I think that's spot on. Like, you have to go out and say, this is my college course. This is my, you know, thing I would have spent $300, $500, $1,000 on. And Yes, I could have my wallet hacked. Yes, I could lose all that, you know, the next day. But you know what? I won't make the same mistake twice and I'm learning a lot. So you have to have that tinkering kind of um, mentality when you go into the space and not be afraid to go out and lose a little bit of something because it's it's a life lesson. And and I feel that, you know, couple that with or pair that with like some an organization like BFF and then pair that with like a podcast like Proof. Then you're listening to all these different things and you're connecting all these dots and then, you know, in six months, you're feeling pretty comfortable in the space, right? And maybe you buy something that that is you're really drawn to and you love the art and guess what it five or 10 X is and you're feeling like this, that's how you got to have to enter into the space and get started. And you're listening to some Twitter spaces, right? And you're hearing other artists talk about things. It's it's all about playing and dipping in and dipping out and figuring out where where your crew is, you know, and trying to find that crew that will help support you and teach you along the way. But I will say, Kevin. Having gone through it, not from the perspective of a VC entrepreneur in Silicon Valley for 10 years, the community is not the most welcoming. Mm. So despite what you think, 
that, that, that doesn't translate to mo- when I started a year ago, a year and a half ago. Do you remember Gamergate from however many years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah. yeah I yeah. went through Gamergate in Web3 where 100% of the people I spoke to either were talking down to me or questioning my intelligence, my abilities, and were questioning whether I knew what I was doing. To the point where this happened two weeks ago in a meeting where somebody was trying to explain to me the blockchain and I was like, I don't. And then they wanted to talk to my husband. And I was like, cool, cool. Peace out. So yeah. it's one of these where I think that the community needs to change as a whole. Mm-hmm. And the community, the Twitter community, because so much of this, I think that that's something you should point out too, Britt, is a lot of the Web3 community resides on Twitter. Yeah, that's And true. so th- that that is something that most people aren't aware of. People look at social media as a whole. And I think that there's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. Web3 is Twitter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like everybody talks on tw- that's where it's everything lives or dies is off of Twitter. But also it lives or dies on the hands of 10 people at most. There's 10 very loud pushers of crypto and NFT that influence so much of how and what people think. And those people sometimes have a tendency to talk down to newbies. And there's this sense of like, if you're not a crypto native, don't bother. And it's one of these really discerning, um, this is why I think BFF is so awesome. But I think like as a, as a community as a whole, there needs to be a different outlook of like the more the merrier versus yeah. we're great, stay out of our business. Yeah. And so I, w- I would encourage you, Kevin, because you are a part of that community at large of the 10 influencers that can make or break something is to be more inviting towards the newbies. Mm-hmm. and be more aggressive towards the bad players in the community. Yeah. Because there that's, are loud. That, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's that's great advice. I, th- I One of the things I always remind our community internally is no one else has to lose for us to win. Like, And yes. we don't need to put anyone else down. If anything, we're so tiny. Yeah. To your point earlier about how many people yeah. are actually in this world, we need to be lifting and supporting everyone up. We need to be, if someone wants to learn about this space, like, come on in, let me teach you about it. Because like, that's how we grow this community, you know? Yeah. And it's a bummer because when I jumped in, I really did think it was that. I really did. I was like, oh my God, this community is so great. There's like a handful of us and we're all going to be here. We're in it together. And then two weeks later, I was like, oh my God, we're not in this together. Why are we so mad at one? Like everything was all about gatekeeping. I'm not going to share this information with you. I'm not going to tell you about this. Like everything was so secretive. And I was like, oh, what a bummer. What a bummer when it should be so much like, and it goes, it, it goes, boils down to the bad players and there's bad players in every industry. Okay. Especially when you add money just, in the mix, right? Totally. For sure. I've seen money, overnight money, right? Like it's money that literally goes from zero to billions overnight. And I think that the discord community at large, I think that needs to be monitored more when it comes to, um, to being kind to one another. I think that that's the big element that is missing in this that I think is maybe causing oftentimes women, unfortunately, but also, you know, the LGBT, whatever the community you want to say, other than the white male from being like, let me dive in because the second they dive in, they get knocked down so quickly by so many others. You should come on my podcast and talk about this to the, the entire, uh, you both should, cause I'm sure you both been in this place. Anytime. You should trade, trade spots because it's, yeah. it's so important. It's, it's part I, of the reason why we hire full-time moderators. Like we don't outsource that. We have like four or five full-time moderators oh. now. And it's like, Kevin, you have I learned to the do hard it. Way. You have to. I learned, I, yeah. I, I didn't, yeah. we didn't Same. do that in the beginning. And it was, whew, 
critical it, to have moderators. Is, but I also think it's not about, yeah. um, you know, so Discord, for anyone listening, is like a, a social chat platform, if you don't know it, where most of the Web3 communities hang out, right? They have their own kind of chat rooms. But for the average person out there, especially a woman, Discord is like this male gamer geek thing that like, I don't want another social app. So, um, you yeah. know, again, Twitter or like for BFF, we even have a text service where we just like send you interesting updates and, and news, like what's happening. Yeah, we have an email newsletter, like all these traditional ways to get in on what's happening and get a little bit of alpha um, without having to go into the, the depths <laughs> until you're ready. Um, I guess just finally, you guys, I know we have to come to a close here. You know, what is the the one final piece of advice you would give to anyone just like on the sidelines other than like spend a hundred dollars go like what's the macro outlook here like what is this in 10 years and and why macro should they be excited big picture big big picture kevin go first <laughs> um i would say that we're seeing some really interesting experiments around this idea that culture is now ownable in some sense. And it, that's fascinating to me. Like we're, there is, and I know that there's been a lot of failed launches in the space. Like me, like I mentioned earlier around different studios, trying various things, but there's this idea that um, people can now own a piece of a project via an NFT that gets to participate in some of the value accrual over time if that project is is successful. And that piece of it is really interesting to me and something that I I would like to just kind of track over the next, you know, five plus years. Um, I would say my biggest piece of advice, though, would be that um, truly, I've seen this happen so many times, where someone will come in, they'll buy an NFT, and this is really tech. This is like really like very pointed advice. They'll buy an NFT, it'll three X and they sell it. And then it goes to a hundred or 200 X from there. And it goes crazy. Right. And they had good instincts, but they're thinking about this in terms of not, I love this and this is the future, but in terms of how can I make a quick buck? And I think yeah. what you have to do is if you collect with your heart and you actually truly love a piece, one, you're not going to freak out when that price is cut in half or more because of the inevitable crash because you love it and you're like, Hey, I'll I'd have this on my wall someday when there's a digital frame 10 years from now, like I'll have this on my wall that, and the second piece is that, it, you know, hopefully, and I, I always do this too, where if I find something I really love and it's a new project, if it's priced right, I always pick up two and it's because it's one for the future and one for like the vault. And then one for where people say, Hey, if I want to actually, if it's getting too pricey for me, I won't feel like this is is going to kill me if it if it, it drops from there, right? So it's it's a hard balance between you love it, you want to hold it for the long term, but also knowing that sometimes this can be meaningful money for people. Like one quick last example, one of the things that we did when we gave away these NFTs to a lot of underrepresented groups is we knew in some cases it was going to be money that was really meaningful for people that pay their bills, right? And so the first thing I, I wanted to tell people is like, it's okay if you sell your NFT, like we don't, we, 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 and you cash out, that's fine. Just like come back to us some point in the future. We'd love to like keep you in this, you know, ecosystem in some way. And so it's a really tough thing when you think about onboarding, um, like lower income folks into this space. If somebody gets a $50 NFT and it turns to $300, you know, they're most likely going to exit or they may exit. Right. And so how do you like, I don't know how to keep those people engaged and involved over the long term, especially when those can turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars or beyond. Right. Totally. So it's a really 
difficult thing. I'm, I know I'm rambling now. I didn't answer That's your good. question. <laughs> I, no, it's like play the long game. You know, it's kind of yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, Which exactly. Is like true of the stock market and and uh, and you know similar markets. Mila, your counterpoint. I actually, I agree. I think what Kevin said is what I've been screaming. I feel like from the top of my lungs for the past year for people when they're like, they want a day trade instead of investing in a product long term, and so they want that like overnight success where they're like, but I bought it for a hundred last night. It's only worth a hundred and ten today, and you're like, but are you? But so so to me, the biggest thing is do it because you love it, and I think go into it not to make money. If you happen to make money unbelievable like congratulations but do it because you love it because you're curious because you want to be a part of something don't do it because you want to be a millionaire overnight the likelihood of that happening is zero to none um if it happens great but that shouldn't be your intent so but that i've said for a long time and i know that that falls on deaf's here but i but i truly do believe it do it because you love it also easier said than done I, I also understand that i think that if you want to make money overnight this is not the way to do it if your intent is to make money don't do it this way. Like do it the more traditional route and use this as a hobby. Like do this on the side. Don't do this as a full-time job. I know that a lot of people are going to be really against what I just said, but I have seen people turn and quit their jobs and go into day trading crypto. And it is very rarely turned out for the best. And so I would say stay in the traditional route and do this as a fun hobby. And then hopefully one day you don't have to have a traditional job. Um, but as far as macro goes, I think this is where I go to. I don't think that the utilization of the blockchain has been fully um, like uh, realized. I, I feel like that hasn't happened yet. And the coolest thing about what I think you, Britt, Kevin, and myself are a part of is that process, is we're all in the process of figuring out the true utilization of blockchain Web3. We're not there yet. And I don't believe that the NFT is the answer. I, I go back to, I think the NFT is literally the first thing out of the gate where we're like, it's like the first pancake you make. We're like, the first pancake is always like, it's edible, but it's not like the best pancake. The third or fourth pancake on that pan is usually the best one. We're on the first pancake, right? Yeah. It's edible. It's good. It gets the job done. I wouldn't give it an award. No, but and you so can put butter on it though. And a chocolate chip, butter on it, a little, maybe a little blueberries. For yeah. sure. Yeah. You can add some features to these pancakes over time. Yes, you can <laughs> sprinkle it if you want, sugar it up, but it's the first pancake. Yeah. And I think that the coolest thing is like, what's the next thing? I don't have an answer. I know what I'm trying. I'm going down like the, the video game route because I love gaming. It is what, my, what I came out of. And I think for me, Web3 or a marriage between Web2 and Web3 is giving me that ability is to figure out, and by the way, it's all utilizing the same community. It's the same, it's the Stoner Cats community, it's the gimmicks community, it's the BFF community. It's utilizing all of that and letting them be a part of the process because the process is ultimately what's fun. The end result, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't predict. The process is what's fun. So Web3 allows you like into the process and gives you a way in. So that's my bullshit way of answering your macro is I don't believe it's, it's realized. Perfect. And I, but I, I, like, I wish I was a futurist that yeah. could be like, oh, here's how this is all going to be used. I have no, no clue, the but reality I think it's is, really fun. The reality is, though, like, uh, just to draw this to a close, like, the three of us are tinkerers. We're lucky enough to hear about some yeah. of these things first, and we dive in. And we're gonna, we do it because we think it's fun and interesting, and we're curious. And it might happen that we get lucky or successful along the way. And I think that's the projection that I want to give to everyone who listens today. So... Thank you so oh, but much. But I also would say, yes. Wait, I do want to say, I really yeah. do encourage people to buy a dollar. Just invest one dollar to one dollar into ETH or into Bitcoin. My grandma did it. Just 
My grandma's 81 years old. That means everyone out there can do it. My grandma spent <laughs> yeah. $100. She did. She's excited. She's Try it out. She has a crypto yeah. So can you. Um, thank you her. so much, you guys. <laughs> you guys are both um, true inspirations to me in so many ways. You're both friends of mine for and have been for so long. And I'm just really excited to be kind of figuring this world out with you and <laughs> doing it now publicly. So it's thanks fun. for your time today. Did Appreciate it. Thanks, and best Britt. of luck. Yeah. We'll see you guys thank soon. Thank you. So I have to tell you guys how literally fangirlish I was with these two. I mean, Kevin and Mila have been my friends for many years, and I feel lucky to call them friends. But as I think most listeners know, they are both at the top of their class in the categories that they each reside in. I mean, Mila with her acting career and production career, and now she's an entrepreneur in Web3. Kevin has been a known entity in Silicon Valley and beyond since the early 2000s. And like he said, Moonbirds is one of the biggest brands in the category. They did $500 million in four months. I cannot even believe that. I'm an investor. And I've never seen a company go from zero to 500 million in four months. So I think what they're doing is incredible. I think we were very lucky to have them here today. And I was really surprised by some of their thoughts. For Mila, I thought she would be hyping Web3 a little bit more than she did. What I gleaned from her was that it's still a rocky road. She's figuring it out. People in Hollywood have tried a lot of things and failed. She's pivoting into gaming now to figure out what's next and if that works. What I admire about her is that she's continuing to have fun with it. and She's sticking around and she's tinkering and tinkering until it catches an even bigger fire. Conversely, Kevin seemed to have kind of fallen into this at the right time with the right strategy. He started small. He got a community behind him. He built that up more and more, and it worked. But now he's got to think about what comes next. And in a world where there are only a few hundred thousand people participating, it's going to be a lot of experimentation. Similarly, me with BFF. I started this company back in January of 2022. I did it because, as we talked about on the show, we aren't seeing a bunch of women and non-binary and underserved communities in Web3. We had enormous success coming out the gate. But where do we take it from here? There are all kinds of paths I can take forward. It's not 100% clear which way to go. So we're going to try some stuff. We're going to see what works. We're going to ask our community. And the reason that the three of us, I think, are continuing down this path, even though it's very foggy and hazy out there, is because we do so deeply believe that there's something bigger here. We have the foundational technology. It's called the blockchain. We see how some projects are figuring things out. We have a lot of infrastructure that still needs to be built, but we're believers that this could change the future of the internet. This could change the way that there's more ownership in everything that you create and buy online. It's simpler for you to make a transaction or a swap or to claim ownership of anything you've ever bought or sold. There's financial upside, potentially. There's also a lot of financial downside. I understand why it's scary. I understand why a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines. But that's what this show is about. This show is first in line because... I think what you heard from all of us today was 
you aren't going to win if you don't just try. You aren't going to win if you don't try to learn something. You aren't going to win if you can't have a conversation about this at the dinner table and explain it to somebody else. There are many times in my past where I heard about something early, crypto being one of them. Again, like what Mila and I were talking about, my husband, her husband, they heard about it from their guy friends back in 2011. We ultimately heard about it from our husbands and we decided not to participate. It felt weird. It felt like this is never going to work. There were so many reasons why we shouldn't. But what we didn't realize was what was the what was the real downside if we just played? What if we just used $10? What if we used $100? If, we, if I were to buy one Bitcoin in 2012 for $20, that $20 is now worth $20,000 today. Why didn't I use $20? I went out and bought clothes for $20. <laughs> I bought a few lattes for $20. Why didn't I buy a Bitcoin? What held me back? And what's holding everyone back today? I think the big part of it is, is what we ended up talking about at the end of the episode. Kevin said, Web3 is all about trying to give the power back to the people where big tech has had control. But where are the people? <laughs> the people are mostly white men in the category. And I love white men. I'm married to one. But there need to be more people. This is a bit contrary to the belief that Web3 is for everyone. It's decentralized. It's, you know, for all of us to build together. So we have to bring more people into this community. We have to have inclusive communities. We can't have all of these barriers to entry. And again, that's why I started my project, BFF. You can go to myBFF.com and learn how to set up your wallet. You can learn how to buy an NFT. You can learn about hacks and security and all these different things. And it literally will cost you little to no money at all. Even if you invest $1 today, that would make a difference. You will learn how to do it. You will Things will start to click. And who knows if that $1 will turn into anything else, but maybe it will, and maybe it's worth a try. When I think about getting first in line to Web3, it's not just about the financial upside like I've been talking about. It's, it's about having a seat at the table. It's about seeing the future. Because when you can see the future, you can build a better world around you, and you can build a better world for everyone else out there. Perhaps you want to start something that is meaningful in the space, that can really change people's lives. Perhaps you frankly just want to make your life better. Every new technology that comes out and has come out over the last few decades has ultimately come out to improve our lives. Web3 is doing that in a massive new way. And like I said on the show, I've only seen this happen a couple times in my 36 years thus far. This is a once in a decade or once in every two decade opportunity. And so I hope you will take it seriously that whether or not this becomes the $10 trillion industry that people think it will, whether or not it accelerates in five years or 10 years, there's enough infrastructure that's been built and enough smart people working on this that I believe it's going somewhere. And I think you should have a voice and a say in where it goes next. If you liked this episode, I would love for you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your shows. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Brit on just about every social network, or you can follow the podcast at First In Line. 